0: Degenerate Angels. Welcome back to another illustrious episode of Tales of Taboo. My name is Ali Weiss. I would assume that any of you listening to a solo episode are Well aware of who I am by this point, but on the off chance that we have a curious stranger. Hello. Welcome. You are safe here. We have cookies. They are gluten-free. They might taste like cardboard. Um, I am a Z-list actor, writer, uh, professional conversationalist living in downtown Manhattan, and I am obsessed with all people, places, things, ideas, experiences, outside the bounds of what society considers to be socially unacceptable or abnormal or just plain fucking weird. And usually how this show works is we collect, or we meaning me and my 15 personalities, collect anonymous confessions from my Instagram stories of people who have lived particular life experiences and then we get to learn about those experiences firsthand. However, every once in a while when I feel as though I have something burning to say or my own collection of taboo experiences might actually be of use to the general public, I hit the mic solo and today is one of those days of me being in a white room illuminated by ring lights talking to a wall and pretending like it is totally (laughs) normal. Um, That being said, at the time, Of release of this episode, I am one day away from my 29th birthday. That is so crazy for so many reasons. It's it's crazy that I'm finally in the last year of my 20s. I'm sure it's crazy for those of you who have been listening to me and following along on Instagram for years. Uh, to know that it's like I'm, I'm almost out of this period that has really kind of defined my work and defined my brand. I, I listened back to an old solo episode that I had actually done at the very end of my old podcast, Health is Hell. That was about my 28th birthday. And listening to that, I realized how little has changed since then, and yet how much. I have that complicated relationship with time because when you're ADD, the world is constantly moving at at a very fast speed. And I hesitated when I was saying fast because I thought about what it's like when I'm medicated versus when I'm unmedicated. So when I'm unmedicated, I'm not foaming at the mouth and strapped down to a stretcher on my way to the psych ward. Mind you, I can still function. But it's like... I am driving down a five-lane highway, and the highway is packed. Like, it is rush hour, but it is also not rush hour because everyone is driving at 120 miles an hour. When I am medicated, it it takes that highway, that, that multi-lane highway, and it condenses it into one road, but I'm still going down that road. At 120 miles an hour, and then at the end of the day, when my my medication wears off, I I'm like a turtle. You know, the car just completely runs out of gas and stops dead in the middle of the road. And my psychiatrist, bless her, uh, owe her my firstborn child. Her and Wikipedia for getting me through school. Spark Notes, actually, Um, but. The the image that she always gives is it's like when you take the medication, someone turns the lights on and when the medication wears off, the lights just get turned off on you like the electricity goes out. You did not pay the bill. And that's really defined my entire life as a conscious person of having the speeds at which I operate constantly vary and feeling as though I have no control over that And having days bleed into weeks, and weeks bleed into months, and months bleed into years. And I think that that bleeding actually does apply to people who also don't have ADD, um, but who are just living a confused and perhaps fast-paced life in their 20s. I was talking about this with My boyfriend recently, who is now in his 30s, and he mentioned that every year you get older, it seems that the time passes faster. If, yes, I'm getting older, right? And yes, every time you have a birthday, it forces you to evaluate the passage of time. But I am somebody who is forced to evaluate the passage of time on a daily or weekly basis in order to have any clue of what I've been up to, what I've accomplished. I mean, the only way that I can go to sleep at night without debilitating anxiety is to have a bullet point list of everything I did that day. Not just everything I accomplished, but every errand I ran, what I ate, who I spoke to. This sounds really OCD and really anal. And you know what? Perhaps it is. I am who I am. That's one of the nice things about getting older. You're just like I am who I am. Fuck off if you don't like it. But it, it's not like a a, a crazy um, coping mechanism to to track my productivity or track my calorie count. It genuinely is that if I don't keep such meticulous track of everything that's happened in my life, I genuinely can't remember. So you know, m- my twenties have really felt absolutely endless. They, they have felt like they have gone on forever. But at the same time, I, I am still shocked that I have finally gotten to, quote-unquote, the end, which I wanted to speak about today because to me, it genuinely feels like the beginning. And I remember when I turned 27 that was the first year that I really began to feel as though my life was just starting, that I had everything ahead of me, that I had potential, that I had purpose, that I had something to say. That sense of purpose is something that I really zoned in on. Honed in on? Zoned in on? Owned on. Let's just apostrophe owned on. Um, That really happened to me this year and we'll talk about why. But I found it so curious that when i got to my late 20s i started to feel so much better than i had ever felt before better in in ways that i didn't think i could feel good and yet according to society standards and according to the beauty industry standards and oh god especially according to entertainment standards i was expiring i was aging out and i was like how could this be when I have never looked or felt better or liked myself more? I did not move out of my parents' house until this year, until I was 28. And I talked about this a little bit in my solo episode about my abortion, which is obviously something that we will cover today as well. But that that choice was a complicated one, that choice to stay with my parents for so long. On the one hand, I was able to achieve a tremendous amount of freedom by saving the money that I otherwise would have spent on rent and using it to travel the world, using it to go into cultures and subcultures and groups of people that were so different from anything that I knew at home in New York. I was able to build multiple podcasts and produce them on my own. And really, what living with my parents did for me was buy me time. It bought me time to think about what it is that I really wanted to do with my life and what it was that I really had to say. And this year has been a major year for me to contemplate what it really means to be privileged. Um, And we know privilege as it applies to whiteness. We know privilege as it applies to being pretty. We know privilege as it applies to having money. But there, there are other privileges that are less discussed. And while, you know, my parents having the financial means to allow me to live in their house um, and also the privilege of having a good relationship with my parents and them wanting me to be there, I had the privilege of actually being able to think about these big, big picture issues, these big picture concepts of like purposefulness and what is happiness and how do I achieve happiness rather than having to worry exclusively about making my rent and not being evicted and doing a good job at work so that i could keep my job getting a promotion you know what i mean and and that was a privilege that really stuck out to me after i left my parents house because when i moved into my new home which i share with my best friend from high school and we are having the best time and he also lived with his parents until he was 28 um we were the the last adult babies standing we're having the time of our lives it it feels like that kind of young post college experimentation, having people over to the house, having our own space, buying the food that we want to buy, eating junk, you know, buying ridiculous shit for the house, having significant others in the house. It's it's amazing. It's so fun, and it's happening 5 years after most people experience that. And another privilege is that I get to experience a lot of this self-realization outside the the confines of my parents' rules and expectations for me um, when I have enough of a financial and emotional safety net to actually have that be a really fun and enjoyable experience rather than immensely stressful. I do talk to my therapist quite often about regrets that I have uh, surrounding not leaving my parents' house earlier and wondering, had I put myself into situations that were riskier, that had less of a safety net? Um, more of a chance of failure, having to worry about making that rent when I was a struggling actor, a struggling model, a struggling writer, pretty much struggling at everything, mind you, Um, never really achieving the level of success that I wanted to in any of those fields. Um, I wonder if it would have made me work harder. And I wonder if now at almost 29, I would have achieved more. But I think that achievement is also something that we need to examine. And I think achievement and the kind of uh, road to achievement, the path that one follows to achieve achievement, if that makes sense, is is very tied up in age. And there's, there's kind of this path that's been widely traveled that we're all expected to go down, that we're expected to have achieved a certain al- amount of personal and professional success by the time that we turn 30. I-, I think my generation of millennials, but certainly of Gen Z, the expectations are totally different. The rules have totally changed in terms of how we see that path in terms of the pressure that we feel to find a partner, to have a baby, to create a domestic life. I mean, everybody knows millennials are the first generation that aren't going to do better than their parents. Um, And then poor Gen Z. I mean, what a shit show. For all of those kids who graduated during the pandemic or their school got fucked up during the pandemic and now they live this life online that's entirely simultaneous to their IRL life, if not more important. But for my group of friends, none of us feel that pressure to, quote unquote, get our lives together in that domestic sense, by that domestic definition. All of us are very focused on our careers and we're also very focused on being as happy and content as possible any pressure we feel to take those next steps is not because of the dialogue that's happening within our community it's coming from our parents it's coming from our grandparents it's coming from our older coworkers it's it's coming from the people that we see on social media or online and i just think that that's a really interesting push and pull of seeing that the definition of adulthood and seeing that that expectation of when certain things in life should happen, we're seeing it change. And yet we are still putting that pressure on ourselves because we don't want to disappoint the elders in our lives. Does that make sense? And you know, with the pandemic, we've, we lost two years. It is so wild to me to think that I entered the pandemic at 26 years old and now as we are finally feeling life go back to normal, the Met Gala is on, award season is on, the clubs are full, people don't care if they have COVID anymore because the symptoms aren't that bad. That's a whole other conversation. But as we are now finally really feeling the world go back to normal, I'm I'm about to be 29. What? Like I was 26 turning 27 when we went into lockdown and now I'm 28 turning 29. I mean, crazy. It's really crazy. And I I think that because we went through this once in a lifetime situation of time truly standing still, it's like that saying that um, people who get famous stay that age for the rest of their lives, like the age that they got famous because that's when they stopped growing and that's when everything started being taken care of for them and when they really became disconnected from real life, um, that's, that's kind of like what's happened to us on a mass scale. And it's crazy to me that I am celebrating this birthday with a significant other. And what's crazy about that is I think as somebody who was single for such a long time and before being single... Was in a, a pretty toxic relationship that taught me so much, but was definitely not healthy. Um, I, I I didn't really get what all the fuss was about. I was like, yeah, obviously, it's really nice to have somebody to wake up with and to spend your Sundays with and to talk to about your day. I almost saw relationships as being this filler of loneliness and I saw people who were in relationships as being free from the burden of of really being able to recognize one's aloneness in the world and that's true and I stand by that but it's just so wild how my entire mentality my entire energy has changed since getting into a relationship, but not just a relationship, a relationship with the right person, a relationship with a healthy person. Love is not overrated. And having somebody not only to do life with in the activity sense, but to make an agreement to grow with It's like being in an adult version of the buddy system that you have when you go on field trips in lower school or middle school so that you don't get lost. Having somebody to kind of look out for in that way and to join worlds with, it is so wild how that reduces the significance of all of this other bullshit that I thought I needed. My desire to constantly be out at the bar or at the club partying and my desire to constantly be meeting people and the fear that if I stayed in or a Friday, on a Friday or a Saturday night that I could potentially be missing out on meeting my person. Networking for my career. Um, just this new clothes, going shopping for new clothes eating out at a new restaurant. It's basically everything to do with consumption. It's insane to really sit here and be able to see how so many of the things that I identified as my fun lifestyle or my fast-moving lifestyle or things that I needed to do as a young person in New York or for the purposes of my career or what have you were all just void fillers but you know there's there's a flip side of that right i think anybody who enters into a relationship becomes at least temporarily worried about the loss of their own identity and having to put in the effort to not put another person's feelings and aspirations before your own And yes, it's the best feeling in the world to be so content and happy and comfortable staying in on a Saturday night and watching Wes Anderson and eating popcorn and ice cream rather than going out and searching for something. But you also don't want to become so comfortable within that that you miss out on what's happening in the world, especially for somebody like me who thrives on a personal level off of being involved in culture. But you know, it's like you see those old people who don't know how to use a phone and don't know how to use a computer and are like mad that the world has started turning without or has kept on turning without them. And I never want to be one of those people. I also don't want to lose my edge. So to kind of summarize what I believe it means to grow up, I don't think growing up has anything to do really with getting married, or having a baby. Although I think that the experience of being forced to care about someone and consider someone other than yourself forces you to take on more responsibility. And I think responsibility has a lot to do with growing up. Um, But I don't think any of these tentpoles that we've become accustomed to define whether or not we're an adult. Um, I think growing up is having a clearer sense of who you are what your purpose is and what your morals and priorities are, you know? And it's being able to draw the line between your professional life and your personal life and think, who am I? What do I need versus what does the world need from me? It becomes easier to put your foot down and say, no, to the demands of everybody else. So I made a list of big things that have happened to me this year. Um, And as with the new experience of being in a relationship and realizing how much of the other stuff in your life is kind of just filler for your existential voids, I, in the past, when I would make these lists, often around my birthday and New Year's, I would evaluate how successful my life was or how full my life was or how good even my life was based mostly on my professional accomplishments, accolades that I had gotten, crazy experiences that I was able to have. Um, And I think that those things are all valuable. It's like the changing of the seasons is a very big thing to happen. And so when the seasons change, you're forced to kind of stop and think, okay, where am I at right now? Um, But I also don't think it's healthy for me or for anybody to judge their life solely based off of, you know, what they've done that's impressive in the eyes of other people or what they've done that is what they should have done, you know, like what boxes they've ticked. I think that my proudest accomplishment this year is the fact that for the first time in my entire life, I actually know who I am. I actually have an idea of who I am separately from my podcast, separately from the videos, separately from any social media success separately from who's writing about me in a magazine. I know who I am separately from my career. And that's something that I have struggled with for as long as I have been navigating this weird digital space. The line between who is professional Ally and who is personal Ally, and I think this is something that a lot of actors and performers struggle with. The desire to embody a character or many characters, A, often stems from not having a clear sense of who you are as an individual. But when you have the expectation of bouncing from character to character to character, it doesn't give you a lot of time to really sit with yourself. And I experienced a tremendous amount of dissociation because of certain traumas that I experienced when I was young. And these are traumas that I have started to talk about on podcasts that I've done guest slots on, which has been a really liberating experience because I was so terrified to talk about them for so long. And um, these traumas are also going to make up the work that I intend to do over the next year, which is um, telling my own tales of taboo alongside the ones that you all have trusted me uh, with, which is, you know, has been the honor of my life. But being able to wake up every morning and have a sense of, okay, separately from anybody else's expectations, separately from the work grind, separately from the world of New York, separately from my relationship, I know who Allie Weiss is. And that person is going to continue to shape shift and change and grow. That's only normal. It's nature versus nurture. To some degree, you are who you are, but that also changes with the experiences that you have. And I'm ready for that. I'm ready for the person that I am right now sitting in this white room talking to a wall. I'm ready for this person to be different when I record a version of this same episode next year or five years from now. I hope to God it's different and that I'm not stagnant. But to know that what I like and what I tolerate and where my boundaries are, are very different from my personas. Even though my persona is just an extension of me, there has been a real sense of pride and accomplishment and peace that has come in that. And that journey also largely revolved around realizing that I can't be everything for everybody. I can use the skills that I've developed to be able to fit into a large variety of environments, to get along with a wide variety of people from starkly different backgrounds. There are real advantages to feeling like a chameleon who doesn't have a defined set of shapes and colors and stripes and dots. Um, But I I also do need to protect myself and realize that somebody that I get along with in a professional setting or even in a party setting might not be a good fit to actually be my friend or be my partner. And there were quite a few things that led to me getting to this point of feeling the the gift and the accomplishment of being like, oh my god like finally, finally after so many years of being so lost and so clueless, I know who I am and the biggest one you guys are gonna laugh but the biggest one was dyeing my hair blonde. I talk about experiencing dissociation and yes, a lot of that comes from trauma but a lot of that dissociation, has also come from feeling as though the person that I am inside does not match my exterior. And I'm going to do my best to to talk about things that I think are also applicable to those of you who are listening. I don't only want to talk about things that apply to me. Um, and have this be like you basically listening into a therapy session. i I don't also want to seem like I'm delusional, and I'm only talking about issues that apply to like a small subset of the population. I think a lot of us feel the pressure of being somebody who we are fundamentally not. I keep referencing all of these different parts of life, you know, the boardroom, the bedroom, but it really is true, and the overwhelming majority of you who listen are women. And I think for women, not to be angry feminist, but Uh, women are expected to behave a certain way to get what they want in certain situations, especially when it pertains to work, but also when it pertains to dating and all of these rules that supposedly come with dating and the game that you have to play when you're dating. You know what I mean? And especially if you come from a family that has a certain set of expectations for you that you do not want to meet because you are not the kind of person that your parents hoped that you were or your community, your town, your religious background, rebelling against that feeling as though you don't fit in. Or feeling as though that you do want to fit in, but you can't do it in the way that they want you to. I think women everywhere suffer from feeling like their public face is different than their private face or 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 their public self is different from what's happening in their internal life. And going blonde was the first time ever that i felt that my exterior matched my interior you've seen me on instagram but i will paint a picture for you anyway i have always been too big in all ways by the time i was 12 i looked like i was 25 i was really tall now i'm 5 foot 10 i wasn't 5 foot 10 at 12 but i was always the tallest person in my class I had big boobs, I had really thick eyebrows, I was a thicker girl, I had a lot of opinions, and I was intimidating. People didn't know what to do with me. You know, middle school teachers didn't know what to do with me. A lot of my classmates didn't know what to do with me. My own parents didn't know what to do with me. There's no manual on how to raise a kid like that, a a, a baby woman, And then as I got older and I morphed into, you know, a version of what society considers to be traditionally beautiful, I think that there were a set of expectations that were placed on me for that. But I also had a look that was severe. I look intimidating And it bothered me that I was not somebody who looked approachable. Granted, looking back on photos of myself from my early 20s and my teenage years, like I get to a certain degree why I wasn't approachable. My fashion sense was abominable. Like I would wear vintage velour witches jackets that I found in like the dustiest, grimiest stores. And I I mean, I was a freak. I was a real freak. I have to post a lot of these photos on Instagram as we're leading up to the birthday so that you guys can really get a sense. And I had like this thick, thick, thick Amy Winehouse eyeliner and big hoops because the bigger the hoop, the closer to God and big hair. And that was obviously in retrospect, a way of me, A, trying to find my identity in general, but B, building like a shield of protection over myself um, because I felt so vulnerable and shattered and insecure and had no idea who I was. And I figured by projecting this big, loud person, um, it would save me from any future upset, uh, which I really wasn't in a place to be able to handle. But all through my life that the through line has been that I am an intimidating person. And as somebody who loves people, as somebody who needs people to survive and to thrive, it always really hurt me that people would assume I was a bitch. People would assume that I was unapproachable, that I thought I was too good for them. Um, And it would take a lot of work once I did start talking to somebody to... Convince them that I was actually really interested in what they had to say. Like, there are multiple people that I have met through Instagram um, or through social media in some capacity, and we meet in real life, and they were like, Oh, you are a great listener and a really nice girl. Like, I thought that you were going to be wild and a narcissist. And again, a lot of that was the image that I chose to project over the past couple of years, but a lot of that was also just, we all judge books by their covers. I know we're told from the time that we're in kindergarten that we shouldn't, but we all do. It's just a fact of life. So when I went blonde, I immediately noticed how much more I was getting approached and how for whatever reason, (laughs) the um, implications of this hair color Like what it means to be a blonde woman, especially what it means to be an artificially blonde woman, because you could see I was not naturally blonde. I mean, the eyebrows in and of themselves, but also my roots were dark. So I think that there was this idea of like, okay, here's a woman who is actively choosing to dye her hair blonde. I don't know what they thought of me, that I was a bimbo, that I was dumb, that I was sexy, that I was trying to be sexy. But whatever it was that they projected onto me made it so much easier for me to engage with the world, which was crazy. And seeing how much more approachable and less intimidating I was to other people made me way less intimidating to myself and eliminated a lot of self-doubt. I felt like I could be playful. I felt like I could be not serious and nobody would hold it against me and say that I wasn't living up to expectations or that I was dumb, you know? And then this led me to really rediscovering my inner child. Um, a lot of like soul workers tell you that this is the most important thing. Acting school also tells you that this is the most important thing. But in kind of breaking down those walls of seriousness, of self-protection, of being five steps ahead of, of worrying that I'm going to be misjudged in a situation, I broke that down and I was like, okay, cool. It's time to rebuild and reaccess what's really in there. So I started wearing butterfly clips in my hair, really girly, frilly dresses, thinking about what kind of shoes I like, wearing Mary Janes, everything pink. And in doing that, I realized that the person inside me, the person that I was forced to put away because of so many years of societal conditioning and because of these expectations that were put on me as a woman, I realized that the person inside me actually is as it was when I was a child, child, like a really girly, soft, sensitive, like baby who wants to be taken care of and who likes glitter and candy and cupcakes and it almost sounds like something really fetishistic you know what I mean like even me sitting here saying this out loud I'm Jesus this sounds like porn like this sounds like a sugar daddy sugar baby relationship that's not what I mean to say I it's just I I think and again for those of you listening now it's going to be very different to listen to than somebody who's been following me for the past 5 years, 6 years. But for so long I I really projected this like very strong, empowered, hypersexual image of just like a woman with a capital W who was in in her bag, in her body. That so was not me at all. That was a result of me just realizing that capitalizing on my sexuality could get me things that i want in actuality I, I i am very much the opposite of that i i feel like a girl um and i am comfortable being young and underdeveloped in certain ways you know let's go back a couple chapters to me not moving out of my parents house until i was 28 but you i think you can kind of follow That's why being blonde actually was so important, is changing my appearance to, in a way, conform to society, which is not what I was trying to do. I had wanted to go blonde for a really long time because it was novel. It was so different from the way that I look. I was like, I want to just push it to the extreme. Going blonde. Um, and, and feeding into, you know, society's definition of what like a hot girl is. It just kind of having the, the red carpet like laid out for me in that way, and, and realizing how much I could get away with and how many like excuses people made for me, and how much easier it was for me to be accepted out of the gate in a variety of social settings, really gave me the power to finally be my true self. Okay, so the blondness was first. Secondly, I went on my America trip. Technically, this trip happened just before I turned 28, but going on that trip was really the beginning of me, I mean, the blondness was the was the beginning of me discovering myself. But then going to Florida and Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana, blonde, uh, really kind of pushed the narrative of of me discovering myself. And I'm sitting on so much content that has yet to be edited. I mean, my stories popped off during that time, and. I never really went out of my way to uh, make the podcasts and and make the videos. I, I think it was just such an overwhelming experience for me that I wasn't ready to sit down and actually talk about what it had meant to me because on the outside, yeah, it looked like a ton of fun. We were like eating fried food and partying with people that New Yorkers would deem very trashy and drinking on a Tuesday and throwing dead fish across state lines. And that was all great. But the feeling that I had for the entire three weeks that I was on the road was one of like happiness and freedom that I had never felt before. And it it was, it was just like the first time that I had nothing to worry about except where are we sleeping tonight and, and what are we filming tomorrow? And I came across so many people on that journey who I interviewed, um, who were so happy with the lives that they were living so far outside what, again, the through line of my podcast, what society considers acceptable. And some of these people were like far out and were into, you know, corpses and vampires and dead people and identified as shamans and all of that. But a lot of these people were also just like proudly Floridian Um, and like, we're busking on the streets of, of where were we at that point? Not St. Petersburg. Uh, oh God, I don't remember. Not far from Tampa. Um, and it, it was just the first time that I spent three weeks surrounded exclusively by people who were nothing like me and realizing how much joy was available outside the, path that's laid out to major metropolitan coastal individuals, that, that path of supposed happiness, that path of things that you need to accomplish or you need to do or you need to be able to show for yourself um, in order to be happy. These people who rejected that entirely were so much happier than the rest of us who were on... On the path that the rest of us were on. That was not very eloquent. Um, I hope you understand what I mean. But you know, as a sheltered New Yorker, it was the first time that I had really left uh, the life that was laid out for me and evaluated what I did and did not like about that. I also had a situationship with a friend of mine that began on that trip and lasted nearly four months. Um, Obviously, it was very intimate because of the circumstances, but also because we had known each other for so long. Um, And it taught me a lot about what I did not want. It, It was actually the first time in eight years of dating that I was finally able to put my foot down towards him, but also mainly with myself and say this is not satisfying me. I need more. It was a very magical time of just being so far away from from everything I knew um, that I think kind of starting this situationship during that time, um, that's really when I started to just see myself in a very new light. And I think as with anything, like an exercise routine or trying to develop a new habit or not drinking, you count the days, right? You put your foot down and you lay your boundaries out once and you're able to successfully do that and the whole world doesn't come crumbling down. and you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do that again. I'm doing the right thing for me. It doesn't matter if they get offended or feel rejected or leave me like I'm doing what's right for me. And it gets easier and easier over time. And it led me to doing that a couple more times after that situationship ended. And finally, it led me to my current boyfriend, which was the first time I've ever been honest about my needs with a person that I'm just starting to date out of the gate. And I believe that's why we have a successful relationship. And I don't want this whole podcast to be solely about uh, relationship advice, but I think my recent, recent success within the relationship realm has had everything to do with me forming boundaries and parameters and understanding myself and knowing what I want to say no and yes to in every other aspect of my life. I only felt secure putting my foot down finally with these various men and then expressing my needs to my current boyfriend because I had had so many years of chaotic life experiences of feeling trampled all over, of feeling tremendously rejected, of feeling so lonely like I was never going to find anybody. I, I, and it was in those moments that I realized like, oh, wow, I actually grew. And there were other bits and pieces of travel that were so integral to me achieving this this current state of just blissful self-comfort and self-realization. I traveled to Paris and London in October, and um, you all might have seen on Instagram, that's when I got to go on a private tour of Versailles. I, I am very numbed out to a lot of um, experiences now. I think as somebody who has both been privileged and had access but also climbed their way into a variety of truly like jaw-dropping situations and places, it takes a lot to really impress me. But as I was walking barefoot in a ball gown around Versailles with only 10 other people holding one of my best friend's hands, I was like, I will never do anything like this again in my life. This is magical, magical. What a nice feeling to be able to feel that there are still things out there that can make me feel so starry-eyed and wondrous, especially as somebody who for years has struggled with depression and feeling numb and feeling like everything sucks. There are still things out there. And for me, having impulsivity problems and ADD and depression, um, you know, to have it be something as extreme as a private tour of Versailles is kind of hilarious and deeply absurd. But but that was such a magical, magical day. And equally as magical were the other days I spent wandering around Paris, realizing that nobody was on their phones. I barely saw a person on their phones. People would sit in coffee shops and actually talk to each other. I read a book for three hours without interruption and I was so content to do that. No anxiety, no panic, no desire to check social media. I think overall that trip was so important to me because it was also the first time that I was traveling alone because I wanted to and not because I was trying to escape something. A lot of that money that I saved by living with my parents, I put into travel, as I mentioned. But so much of the traveling I was doing was as a result of feeling so depressed and discontented and lost and rejected in my life here that I wanted to go somewhere else and get the feeling of starting over. And I studied in London when I was 20 and had been going back and forth ever since, roughly twice a year uh, for years after that. And I've come to realize now that what drew me so much to London, aside from really loving the city and loving the culture and the friends that I've made there, what drew me to the city is that in London, I could actually be an adult. It was the only time I was free from my parents. there was t- plenty that I did, you know, separately from my parents when I was still living with them, but I was still under their roof, under their rules, taking money from them. And when I was in London, nobody knew that I lived with my parents. Nobody knew that I was trying and failing to build this career for myself. No one even really knew that I was profoundly unhappy. I was able to start totally fresh and basically just be this like, you know, fun, interesting girl from New York City who was living in London. And... um Having, having the culmination of being there last October and just being so content to exist without actively searching for something was another major moment of me realizing like, okay, this is how I know I've grown. And then obviously the, the other major things that have happened this year uh, was getting pregnant and subsequently getting an abortion, What a serendipitous, amazing way to close out a year of so much self-exploration and tinkering with my identity via my hair and making the decision to change my style and wanting to sell all my Y2K clothes. Like When it comes to really exploring what it means to be a woman and, and what your identity is as a woman... I mean, there's no more extreme way to do it through being faced with being a mother. And I don't want to go too in-depth into this. Um, there's an entire solo episode where I talk about my experience of getting pregnant and having an abortion, and I'm uh, it's probably the episode that I'm the most proud of, and I would highly encourage everybody to listen to it. Um, but what happened during that entire time was me completely changing my definition of the word taboo and what it meant to be a ballsy woman, what it meant to be an outspoken woman, an adventurous woman, an opinionated woman. For so many years, I thought that that had to mean tough and aggro and, um, Willing to talk about like sex and drugs and rock and roll and going through the experience of having this unbelievably controversial medical procedure, which also at the time of this episode dropping uh, is being overturned. Uh, so, or the the rights to it are are being overturned. It it made me really reconsider like how to be a strong woman especially since we are constantly bombarded with being like a boss babe and a boss beauty and a boss bitch and taking control of our own life and being a strong woman, being a feminist. That's a bad feminist. That's not a strong woman. Like you all know that that conversation is constantly swirling around our heads. And um, it, it really made me realize that you can be gentle and strong simultaneously That you can make a huge difference without screaming and shouting. That the taboo doesn't always have to do with what's shocking. And it kind of felt like the icing on this many-layer cake of trying to figure out who I am and who I want to be and what I want to talk about and the difference that I want to make. So where that has left me, and again, I don't want to repeat too many things that have already been said in past solo episodes, but I feel this really strong pull to tell my own stories rather than just being a vessel for the stories of others. I think that with Health is Hell, I became uh, very wary of how much like trauma dumping I was doing or how narcissistic the show was because of the fact that it was basically a personal journal and it was all about me, even when I had guests. Um, and I didn't like that so many people knew so many things about me Um, without getting like a full picture of who I was because at the time I did not have a full picture of who I was. So I decided to change the format. Now with Tales of Taboo, Mm -hmm. I do share some stuff about myself, but mostly it's the experiences that other people have that I want to learn about. I'm ready to strike that balance. I'm ready to strike that balance of sharing the stories of why I have become so fascinated by these really off-the-beaten-path Um, experiences, why I have been seeking this out, the things that have happened to me that have made me feel outcasted or that I don't perfectly fit in anywhere, while simultaneously telling the stories of other people who feel the same way, which I guess is to say that I'm ready to reveal myself, not just here in the white room in front of the cameras with the ring lights, but To everybody that I come across, I am no longer afraid of being seen as soft, maybe even too soft. I am no longer wary of not always being seen as funny. I have come to realize that humor cannot exist without pain, that there is a lot of pressure to fit oneself into the box of being a comedian or a funny person. You can't be a funny person unless you've struggled. That was another massive qualm I had with my old show. I felt like there was so much pressure on me to be funny. Generally, there was just so much pressure on me to find my brand and to stick to it. I was scared of the fact that I was multidimensional. But now, sitting where I am, being so multidimensional has given me this incredible life and especially an incredible, well, I was going to say past nine years, but really my 20s started when I was like 15. (laughs) So past what, 13 years, 14 years? Um, And now I'm finally settling into this place of wanting to be stiller and not constantly be chasing stimulation. And kind of just sitting with everything that I have done rather than focusing on what's next. I just choked back that burp for you because I'm a lady. Oh, God, no, almost, but not quite. Um, And being able to, to really turn all of that in, not just to content, but into work, meaningful work. So looking back on my 28th year, was it the year that everything happened for me? No. Was it a year where I, I managed to check a hundred things off of my list of goals that I had and, and things I wanted to do? And I'm able to pat myself on the back and say, good job. No. There are all sorts of fraying ends and unfinished business, but I gained something so much more valuable than a raise or a promotion or um even my partner, who is the most valuable gift that I could have gotten. I I gained a sense of knowing who I am. And for any of you who are in your young to mid-twenties who are listening to this or perhaps are the same age as me um, and are nervous about this time, are anxious about aging out or expiring, please don't. (laughs) Because... It's only going to get better. Yeah, sure. Like, I have three gray hairs, but three gray hairs are worth it to be able to live a life that doesn't entirely revolve around existential panic. And that's almost as good of a gift as a Chanel bag. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. My Venmo is Queen of New York.